Did you guys know that Gary is a name that's slowly disappearing? That Garys are going extinct? One R or two R? I think one or two. I'm not really sure, but just like the name Gareth or Gary in general. Because my great grandpa's name was Gareth and my cousin's name is Gary. So I pay attention to like the Gary news. And word on the street is <laughs> it's a name that's going extinct. This is the dumbest think about it. When's the last time you heard of somebody naming their child Gary or Gareth? It'll come back. Everything comes back. It might. But if hipsters haven't brought it back, it might be dead. Will you bring it back when no, you have a child? Definitely not. Why? Mm. If you care. I don't care. So that you much. don't care. No, I never said I cared. I was just stating a fact. All right, let's begin this. So we're here with Billy Joe. <laughs> I gotta Enough go. small talk. I gotta go. Billy. <laughs> I gotta go. Billy Joe is a friend. She lives here in Sarnia. Um, she's an eight. Mm-hmm. She's a she. So that was pretty cool. So far, we've only had couple he's on our on our show it's true um how do we want to start this you guys just have things you want to talk about well so why don't we just start talking yeah okay let's just start talking what i think one of the things i'm interested to talk to you about is being a female eight because when i had my like devastating experience of finding out that i was an eight and was crying in nathan's living room one of the only things that comforted me was when he was like, it's not that bad. Billy Joe's an eight. And I was like, oh, okay, like maybe it's not that bad then. But I definitely think that female eights and male eights have different experiences based on the constructs of society and what is acceptable typically from male and female roles or behaviors. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on like how you just made have noticed that your eight um, characteristics have played into that like gender role dynamic. We're going in real hot with like a heavy question here though. So maybe actually first we should backtrack and just ask about like when you got found out about the Enneagram, when you discovered your eightness and what that experience was like for you. Okay. Yeah, let's start there. That starts. That <laughs> seems good. Okay. Um, so I was working at uh, Refined Fool, and Naomi was talking about the Enneagram. And I said, what is an Enneagram? She said, what? You've never done it? And then she started texting Nathan, saying, what's the website Billy Joe wants to do the test? And Nathan's words were, Billy Joe doesn't need to do the test. Billy Joe's an eight. Says the guy who always says you shouldn't number people. Go on. And I said... Oh, yeah? I'm not an eight. Nathan doesn't know who I am. He doesn't know me. I'm going to do it. So I did it. And I was an eight. And then I said, who else is an eight? And Nathan said, and Naomi said, Nathan's an eight. And then Nathan told me a few other people that were eights. And I was devastated as well. Um, and I said, I'm not like those people. Yeah. And he, you know, broke it down for me. And I felt okay about it. But I hadn't met any other female eights. I mean, I'd met Shar, but I didn't know she was an eight. So, but I don't know any other female eights. Yeah. I don't, like, not well. Right. So I know there's nobody really like me out there. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like I'd like to meet more eights and people that think like me. 
Because I'm annoyed by everybody else and the way they think. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't everybody just think like me? That's the age-old <laughs> questions that he'd ask themselves. See, I knew you were an eight right away because eight women are generally ones that I connect with like almost instantly. Like there's like this mutual respect that just like exchanges. Um, and when I go back in my life to all of um, my friends, especially ones that are women, it was always the eights that I just like we gravitated towards each other and we just like understood each other instantly. We had similar kinds of humor. We had similar ways of um, looking at situations. And so uh, I just have known you now for what, 10 or 12 years or something mm -hmm. like that. And so as soon as I thought of Billy Joe and the Enneagram, I was like, oh, that makes sense. That's why I connected so quickly. And it's just been a relationship that I've never had to question. I've never like been wondering like where we're at. And I always know that if there's something going on or you need to know something, you'll just call me and ask me like right away, uh, which is not a characteristic of too many people. Besides eights. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And I know that you've heard a lot of other people's feelings. So I also know that you're an eight. <laughs> Do you feel like you have heard a lot of other people's feelings? Um, yes. I feel like sometimes when people ask me questions or we're having a conversation and I give my two cents that they're offended by what I have to say, or they feel like it's very strong, or it's heavy left or heavy right. Um, mm -hmm. What does I, that mean, heavy left or heavy like, right? Like, it's just, it's heavy one way or the other. Oh, okay. Sorry, not maybe not left and right, but... There's, um, like, no room for gray. It's just, like, an absolute no. statement. But I I go black and white, and then after I think about it, I, then I go gray a little. I, I can go gray, but my immediate reaction is always black and white. Uh, okay, this is a good question. Do you guys think that when you're giving advice to other people or looking at other people's situations, their situations are like, it's pretty easy to have a black and white opinion about what's going on, but in your own life, is it that black or white? Or do you feel like in your own life, there's more gray? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's so black and white for me. It, in your own life, too? Yeah, I think so. Okay, interesting. But only in terms of how I understand myself. Like, I understand other people in my life are not black and white. But if you were to ask me, uh, should you have done this or should you have not done this, I would just say yes or no. Like, it wasn't like, well, if this, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just like, I'm a very, yeah, very binary in my thinking when it comes to who I am and the role that I am playing. Yeah. So I think I mean more like, okay, let's let's say your friend came to you and was talking about their relationship and in your head, it's very clear that they should or should not be with that person, one way or the other, whatever the situation may be, right? But in your own life, if you look at your own relationship situations, because I I personally feel like if I, if I'm looking at other people's relationships, I have a more solid opinion about whether that is a thing that makes sense or whether it doesn't, whether it's healthy or not, like very black and white. But in my own life, there's so much gray area for the people, not just romantically, like relationship wise, but anybody that I have in my life where I'll accept little things kind of and give people time to sort of work through things and 
I think when I was younger, I probably accepted little weird things like too much. And now it's maybe a little bit more black and white. But I think when I'm looking at other people's situations, it's more black and white than my own. Do you know what I mean? I definitely agree. I definitely think that when I was younger, I would give people the benefit of the doubt or I'd be like, oh, that's okay. You know, give them time, give them space, give them the benefit of the doubt. Now it's black and white for sure. Seriously? I feel like I went the opposite direction. But you know what? I think this might be a male-female thing because uh, as women, I feel like in general, we are more taught to sort of be generous and kind and let people like essentially let people have the first right of way all over like yeah walk all over you um which obviously people aren't like let people walk all over you but in general I think as women we are preconditioned to be a little bit more understanding and not be very forceful and not you know, have too big of an opinion, which as we've gotten older, we've probably grown out of based on life experiences that we've had, right? But this is one of the dichotomies that I think exists between male eights and female eights in terms of the difference of our personality, because maybe we have an internal struggle to be heard or be a little bit more firm or forceful or determined whatever but we don't always feel like it's okay for us to express that Hmm. that makes a lot of sense so because essentially i feel like i have been learning as i grow older and wiser to just shut up more Mm -hmm. to not have my voice heard that my voice has been heard enough it doesn't need to be my voice around the table and to just listen and to ask questions and then come alongside of people that i think are going right but you're kind of saying the opposite that your experience has been You've been told to shut up your whole life, and now you're kind of finding your voice and finding that place where it's like, no, it's okay for me to just say no or yes and just be absolutely confident about something. Yeah. I think, Mm -hmm. in general, my voice could probably be heard less in my female relationships. I should probably shut up and listen more to my female friends. Mm -hmm. But with my male relationships, I could be more confident in vocalizing how I feel or what I want. And that's not something that came comfortably to me. Are you talking about like a romantic relationship or just like any relationship you're in with males? I think anything. Probably more so romantic because I feel like I've always had male friends and I haven't always felt like I need to take the back seat to them. But romantically for sure. Do you, how, how do those two experiences translate to you? I, when you're talking about when you're younger and having people walk all over you, I think for me, it was being younger, being a young mom, being young and married and just kind of doing what I felt like I needed to do and saying yes. And just being like, I'm doing this for my kids. I'm doing this for the family. And then it wasn't till I got divorced. My kids got older. I found my voice. I think that's probably when I truly became an eight and was like, fuck this. Like, I'm not going to let people tell me what I can do, how I can do it. Like, I'm going to live my best life and not obviously live the best life for my kids. But they're older now. They don't need me to be as much of, I don't know if example is the right word, but like doing everything for them and being a person that... Yeah, you can be your own person. I always thought I had to be a mom that was this great example of just, you know, being hardworking and just being kind and there for them all the time and then I realized that 
as I got older and being a business owner and being involved with all these other things that I was teaching them other things about being passionate and about being, Mm -hmm. you know, being excited about life and being goal oriented. And it, it was, it's just totally different from me in my twenties to me in my thirties and now forties, I'm completely a different person. It's very strange. Okay. Can we talk a little bit about your experience as being a parent? Yeah. I'm interested because, um, like I'm like, a new parent but only like quarter time because they're back and forth with their dad and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff and i'm constant it's like a constant second guessing of everything all the time like i'm overthinking every single interaction every little thing that's going on and i'm curious as to what that was like for you um like being younger and being a parent if you were overthinking, like it sounded like you were thinking about it a lot, like you needed to be a very particular kind of role model mm-hmm. and, and kind of thing. Um, so talk a little bit more about that. Just- um, I think being a young mom, I was worried about just wanting to be more mature than I was because all of their friends were older moms, right? How old were you? I was 18 when I got pregnant with Ethan and I had him when I was 19. Okay. And I was 24 with Brody. Um, And did you get married when you had Ethan? No, I got married. Ethan was three. Okay. So um, I did overthink it probably too much when they were younger, just wanting to be the best mom at a young age. But I had no other than like my mom and uh, family friends, but none of my friends were moms. They were all in university and they were all having fun and I was just trying to figure it out. Like, well, how am I supposed to do this? Um, oh, God, I don't remember your question. It's, I, you're just basically, I'm curious about your experience of being a young oh. mother and the, the mental gymnastics that you went through. I think I was worried that I was always going to screw them up. And I used to joke with my mom and say, I'm not putting money away for an RIESP. I'm putting money away for therapy for my kids. <laughs> Because I was a young mom, so I was doing things. That's probably more practical. We yeah. really are honest with I'm working on <laughs> I'm working on a comedy routine right now, and part of it is about how instead of, um, like, the best way, I think, to prepare the, the children is to actually write down every traumatic moment that they're having uh-huh. and then just, like, hand it to them on their 18th birthday, and it'll save them yeah. thousands in therapy because you just don't remember all that kind of stuff. All that stuff they've been burying down all this time. <laughs> now you can just save them. I, when I would get really angsty teenage texts from Ethan, I would wait a couple days and then send them back to him. And he'd be like, what is that? I'm like, that's what you texted me. <laughs> like, he was like, I can't believe I said that. I'm like, you and me both. Um, but I was worried, constantly worried that I was not screwing them up, but you know, they were, ki- I divorced their dad when, um, Brody was six five or six and Ethan was 11 and I was so worried that I was screwing them up and it's funny because someone said to me like you just have to live your life and at the end of it not the end of it the end of them being children you ask them how how was that for you and so that's what I'm doing now because they're 26 and 21 and I'm like hey guys did I mess you up and they're like no like not at all I'm like do you wish that I would have stayed with your dad would that have been and they're both like oh God, no. (laughs) Kids are smart. They are. They are. And I was just so worried that I was traumatizing them. And, 
you know, making a choice to be self-employed with when I had the bookstore for 10 years. Like I chose that over having a, jo- uh, you know, a really stable job and uh, how would that affect them? And now as they're adults talking to them about it, I love it. Like, cause they think it was great and they, they learned, you know, and I see traits in them that I probably gave to them because of that. Right. Do you like your, your present tough situation, um, the present, um, hard situations that you are in, are they easier now because you can sort of look at it with this understanding that like how you're feeling in the present about them isn't going to be the end result? Like those fears are kind of like not really helpful information? Oh, for sure. Like my life is, you know, a tenth of the as stressful or as it used to be. So I have no worries. Like I, I don't... I don't know how to explain what I want to say to you, but like, I don't have, I don't think like that anymore at all. Like, I don't worry about how is this affecting them or like life is so much easier. I've been through all that shit. So I don't even, Hmm. I think it takes one major life situation where you feel like a complete fuck up and like you're letting everybody in your life down. Like for me, that was getting a divorce when Mm -hmm. I, I got tw- married when I was 22. I got divorced when I was 20. Are we all divorced? Yeah, we're all divorced. Oh. Divorce club. Um, my marriage didn't even last two years. I never had any children, so I never had to like deal with that whole part of it. But I think going through one circumstance where you feel like a complete failure and you think everybody's going to hate you and you're ruining everybody's lives and people are going to be so disappointed in you and then rebounding from that is probably one of the best experiences we can go through as humans because I even I come from the most supportive amazing family ever and even I was so stressed out about having to tell people that I was not happy in this marriage that I shouldn't have got married and that I was getting out but I couldn't stay in it because I would have had a nervous breakdown I, I could never have just lived a life and been like well this is what I signed up for you know mm-hmm. so I was like, everybody's going to be so disappointed in me. Like, I'm disappointing everybody who came to our wedding. It's embarrassing AF to be getting Mm -hmm. divorced less than two years after you got married when you're 24 and then having to be a divorcee, like, before your 25th birthday. But it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because I learned my family's not going to abandon me when I do something that they maybe don't understand. And the number of people that were more understanding about it just showed me people I should trust more that people get that life is complicated Mm -hmm. and that I don't need to just be perfect and do what I am expected to do I'm so grateful for those experiences in my life that have brought me to a point of extreme anxiety pretty much Mm -hmm. but then that you can come back from that and grow from it has that changed the way you've dated? Oh, 100%. <laughs> How? Well, first of all, I loved being single after I got divorced. Like I was there's I had never dated as an adult single woman because I was 19 when I started dating the person that I married. So for 3 or 4 years, I was just like I loved it. I loved dating. Even the bad dates were a good story, right? <laughs> and I had a few I had a few short-term relationships with people that I kind of knew I wasn't going to marry, but I they were fun to be with and it was nice to have somebody around. And then as I got older, I was like, okay, this is getting old. Like it would be nice to find somebody, whatever. But 
yeah, I like to date somebody who has had life experiences. It would make me nervous if I was dating. Now I'm older, so I'm 30. Oh, I just turned 34. I almost said 32, which is really funny because <laughs> I just forgot how old I was. the last two years. But I just turned 34. And so now, and I always have tended to date older guys because that's just what I'm into. Not in a weird perverted way, but just I like people who have been through things. Like how much older? I, I like people who have been through things so that I can learn from them. On average, I usually date people that are like five to ten years older than me. So it's easier for me now to meet some people and date people that have life experience. But if back in the day, even when I was 26 or 27, if I was dating somebody who had never had a real serious relationship or a really bad breakup or hadn't been through any of those things, it kind of made me nervous because I think like I have always joked to my friends that my, my type is a single divorced man like I like somebody who's been divorced that maybe already has a kid so I can see what kind of dad they are but to have been through some of those experiences that make you have that perspective on life and make you understand how serious it is to commit to somebody or want to choose to be in a relationship with somebody whatever you define that relationship to be I feel more secure in knowing they're with me and they understand what that means Hmm. It would be very hard for me to date somebody now that had no, like, weird life experiences. Uh, because I want to learn from somebody I'm with, too. Like, I don't want to be this, the person that's been through more. Yeah, and it kind of puts you on, like, an uneven ground with them mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, they're just, it sounds weird to say, but they're just less mature. Someone who hasn't had suffering. Yeah, are you talking suffering or are you talking life experience? Is life that not experience. The same? Yeah. No. It's not? I don't think so. What? Okay. What kind of life experience that isn't suffering would you still consider helpful? Travel. Okay. Seeing different parts Travel. of the world. But in part of that, I feel, I think part of the thing that gives you that perspective is if you've traveled to places where there is suffering. Because if you've only traveled on yachts in the south of France and partied with billionaires you probably don't have the same perspective on life as I would right that's a good point but travel is a thing um because it's like in my mind I'm thinking it's the same as like being with someone who's like super book smart but not so much street smart right because street smart does come with experience but Really, what is experience unless there's been some sort of heartbreak or or hurt or su- I, I call it suffering because it's just like a good word to kind of describe um, what happens to everybody as they grow old and um, life isn't you know the perfect trajectory upwards. Mm-hmm. Like you have to have you have to kind of go off these cliffs. A little bit in order just to like discover what life is. Yeah. But you don't buy that? No. So, and you guys are talking about, you know, wanting to be with somebody who's had life experiences and had suffering or whatever term you want to use. I feel like I've been with enough people that have complex, weird life experiences and I didn't want that I wanted someone that was a little simpler than that 
Safe. Safe. Yeah. Just a nice relationship that didn't have any, you know, real drama. I've tried that. I, I just, I mean, the thing is, though, I crave that stuff. Right. So I seek that out in other people. <laughs> right. But when I'm home and where my home is, I've realized I want that to be just a little bit more easy. Calm. Yeah. Because after that. years of that, I just don't, I don't, I can't handle it. My brain can't handle it. Yeah. My heart can't handle it. So. But, but I, I feel like, because I don't associate somebody who has, I don't associate somebody who has life experience or have gone through those things as necessarily being also chaotic. Because like, I, I, I really value my space, my apartment as being my sort of sanctuary. I don't have people over to my place a lot. It's kind of like where I go to just mm-hmm. be alone and whatever. And if I'm inviting somebody into that space, I want it to be somebody that I know can also just be what I like that sort of sense of peace that I am looking for in the world. But I think part of what can bring you to that point is having been through some stuff. So, and for me, I've been, I have dated people too, who I think haven't been through so much or whatever, but I get bored because I can't have, have the same kind of conversations with them that I want to be able to have with somebody, especially if I'm going to be with them long term. I want to be able to talk about things, right? So you can have not gone through a lot of things, but still be able to carry really good conversations. I think that's probably true too. Yeah, and I think something that I've learned in the last probably eight years is that we can't be all things to one person. So Mm -hmm. there's conversations that I want to have that I would have with my eight friends where I'm not going to have with my partner or have with other friends. I I don't always need to have that with my partner. It's true. This is why we have friendships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Are you trying to say that your partner... You got to a point in your life where you just, you, you say drama and I get drama because drama to me is somebody who maybe has suffered and just has not come out on the other side of that suffering, having learned anything. And it's just like, it just keeps piling on and they're just like kind of carrying all that, um, suffering with them nonstop into their life. Um, like when I was talking about suffering, I definitely meant someone who it's kind of transformed them. Like they've learned something, they've grown wise from it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they're bringing that with them into the future. That is a good distinction because a lot of people don't pass yeah, like, through that point. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. to me, that's someone that's dramatic is someone who's just like constantly throwing around all that and dragging you through it. And it's just never ending. Trauma um, turns to drama. But when you say you just want like peace sort of like at home um like what does that look like like really what is that is that just ignorance is that just like they just don't know and you are just like very content with the fact that they don't know and that they aren't having those conversations with you and they don't know what well whatever like they don't know like someone that doesn't want to have a conversation Oh, right. to say about anything like what is it about the, the of the conversation that they don't want and why is doesn't that drive you crazy i don't think it's them not wanting to have the conversation it's me not feeling like 
their life experience, their past, their knowledge of things, it's not translating into that conversation. Like, it's just kind of, they're talking about things they don't know because they want to have a conversation with you about it. Mm -hmm. But it's not because of knowledge or past experience or life. Um, They're just being a good conversation partner. Yeah. Um, And you don't want empty, like you don't want a conversation partner who's like just talking out of their ass so that they can keep up with you. But what, but what is How does that translate into like what you were saying about like, you just want something more simple or more peaceful. It means that I just don't want to have a relationship that is up and down all the time that I'm guessing or they're guessing or there's, Oh, I 100% get that. But you want stability? Stability? Yeah. I want to just feel like safe and feel like my person is, they get me mm-hmm. for all of my weird... Acceptance. Yeah. Acceptance, for sure. Yeah. And lets me go off and do the things that I want to do and doesn't necessarily have to join me on those experiences or join me in those um, conversations or whatever it is and kind of lets me be me. Like you need, if you need to go and travel, go, you go, if you need to go open mouth, kiss a musician, you go ahead. If you need to, <laughs> how is that the next thing? Well, that's to traveling. Is that- <laughs> Sometimes you Have just you gotta m- open oh mouth, <laughs> kiss a musician. Okay. Have you met me? <laughs> it is on my list of top five important open things. Mouth, open yeah. mouth kissing is great, but I can a hundred percent relate to that. And maybe this is a difference in female male too, but like I really long for just a sense of safety with Oh god damn it. This podcast is going to shit. There's a, there's another bottle. We haven't even opened that one. We're going to talk about safety. Safety. S A F E T Y. Safety. I have a lot to say about safety. Do you? I do. Okay, go on. All of our partners are going to be listening to this now. And we're all I don't think go my home. partner listens to this. He that will one anymore. day. Yeah, he will. Um, and we're all going to go home and have these like conversations where we're going to have to try to translate mm-hmm. <laughs> what is happening right now because there's a level that we're understanding each other and what we're saying. But and then and that's why I understand what you're saying. Like it's not that they're they're. To try to have this conversation with someone who doesn't understand what we're talking about, that doesn't kind of come to it with the same needs that we mm-hmm. have, is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is a sense of, uh, you feel like you, like, you just don't want to have that conversation over and over again, because it, then it feels like you're trying to like explain who you are away a little bit. Like you're constantly, and they're just not kind of accepting the fact that um, that's who you are. Like this is what you're bringing with you. Is that kind of what you were saying? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I just, I think for me, it's, I finally met someone that just kind of is like, I love you because of who you are. And if you need to go and do whatever you need to do, you you go do it because I want you to be happy. I'm probably going to be butthurt about some things that you say and do and how you live your life, but, um, I want to be with you. So in order to do that, I have to just accept it. Okay. So here's my question. And this is probably more of a female concern than a male concern. If we're dividing things up into genders. 
Which but, we have been. So which might as well keep it. Yeah. Going. Well, if I was dealing with somebody who didn't identify as male or female, I would address them that way, obviously. But in my specific situation, I tend to date men. And um, I find that when I have dated people that are that much like, I love you, you do you, um, I'll be here when you return from whatever fun thing you're doing that I'm not really into doing, I lose respect for them Mm -hmm. because I feel like I could walk all over them. Mm -hmm. And I don't, maybe part of it is my thing that I don't trust myself to not walk all over them once I see that leeway. But I know I can't be with a person like that long term because... I, once I lose respect for somebody, have a hard time, like, just even sort of wanting to be with them in that way. Mm-hmm. So how do you, or maybe, like, maybe it just doesn't, you just, maybe that just isn't a thing that happens to you. I don't know. But how do you be with somebody that will let you be you and do those things and everything, but not sort of think, but why don't you want these things for yourself? Or why do you let me do these things without, do you know what I mean? Yep. And this has definitely been a uh, conversation in our relationship because I was getting, you know, I would get super frustrated. Why don't you want to have goals? Why don't you, well, he, sorry, he does have goals. (laughs) why don't you have goals like me? Like, why don't you have like five-year plans or why don't you, um, you know, are always looking forward and wanting to be the best version of yourself. And it's not that he's not, he doesn't want that. It's just, it's different. And I don't think it, I lose any sort of respect for him. I just, I actually think I respect him more because he's not trying to contain me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he will definitely, I respect him because he'll tell me if there's something that he's like, okay, well that's, that does bother me. So there is a line there where he'll is. speak up. There has been one and a half, maybe, uh, <laughs> that I've let go by. So cares about the half. <laughs> but that probably is one of the best forms of partnership for an E is somebody who's like not just okay with you going to do the things you want to do, but happy for you. Yes, genuinely happy and supportive and helping you along the way to get there. Yeah. Um, and also knowing See, that's that unique. it might take me away from them, mm-hmm. but I mean, I'm going to come back like, mm-hmm. because this, that's where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel like the more they let the mm-hmm. string out, the know. more you want to be home. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a completely different relationship than I've ever had. So it's very strange. Like, I don't understand anything you guys are talking about right now. Really? Yep. It doesn't, like, it's not... What don't you understand? Um, I don't think that I have these goals and interests that, in my mind, take me away from a person. But you definitely do. So I think... In my mind, the right person is just someone who's like... They might not be trying to do or keep up with me or any of that kind of stuff but they're like they're like sort of like there they're just there they're present that sounds as an eight female that makes me want to vomit Mm. all over the place just so you know which is why you probably couldn't date an eight female so like so i was married for nine years 
with someone who had infinite goals, all sorts of goals. And I felt like a huge role that I played in that was like supporting them mm-hmm. and bringing what I brought to the table, which like I, I could get shit done. I could think about things and understand how systems worked and I could be a critical thinker that could make someone more successful and all that kind of stuff. So I always felt like I added that to a relationship. Like I can, I can be a person who helps somebody else get those kinds of things done. So when I think about somebody else in a relationship with me, I think I'm just expecting that sort of like, um, cooperation back. Okay, well, that's different than just, like, being there. But, like, presence is a huge part of that. Like, dis- someone disappearing. Being or- present in the conversations and the moments and the things you're working towards. Is that what you mean? I think so. Okay. I don't know. Like, there's one thing where it's like, you do you. There was a, a tweet the other day. A tweet. A Twitter Where tweet. someone said, you know, what does... What does you do you actually mean? And I see that phrase as a very dismissive one. Same. Where it's like, you go do you. And then get back to me when you're done doing you. Because like, I'm still just going to be here. And I like, I hate it. Like if someone tells me go do you for me to do me. I'm like, well, no. Like what I want is for us to do us. And I want half of us to be what I, the me that I'm doing. Does that make sense? Because that sounded weird. I get, I get what you're trying. We to shouldn't say. be drinking while we're doing this. I'm gonna put this down. Because when I'm in a relationship, when I'm in a partnership, it's not just me doing what I want, the other person doing what they want, and you're just sort of beside each other. There's like sort of this like integration of the two people and the desires and all those other kinds of things and hopefully they align enough that it's like um that they're there and they become things that you both want to do yeah I, i think that somewhat depends on what you specifically want out of a relationship though because i think you could you could have a uh happy life with somebody who was there and you were there and you were both doing your own things and you were, you knew how you could fulfill each other in it. And then you also knew what you needed to get from outside sources. If you were both in agreement with that, you could still have a happy relationship. It's just that your definition of relationship is that it's you guys together going after the things that you want together. And that's just like an individual fulfillment. Like, what do you want out of a relationship? Because I can see both. I can see wanting to be with somebody or being with somebody where you're both working towards the same things. You're really involved in each other's goals and you're working towards things with each other and you're sort of really highly involved with each other's lives and you're both together a lot. And I can see that being really fulfilling if it's the right person and you both want the same things and that works really well. But I can also see it working well if you just were both able to recognize what you can and can't give to each other and what you need to find outside of it as long as everybody is fulfilled from that. If one party is not actually fulfilled from it and they're just saying they are to make the other party happy, then that's not going to work, obviously. 
But I think there's so many different variations of how a relationship can exist now. Right? For sure, because I've mm-hmm. been in a relationship where the I had my partner, I both had the same interests, the same wants, the same like long-term plans, um, and we did everything together, and that blew up, right? So now being with someone, don't get me wrong, I'd like if there was a little bit more crossover, but I'm not going to force it. Like, you can't force somebody, and that doesn't make me not want to be with him any less. So, right, I don't know. I just think at the end of the day, you have to figure out what if, if you're what makes you happy. We don't have to like the same things. I don't. He doesn't have to do things with me. I would prefer him not to most of the time. <laughs> Because right. he's not going like, to enjoy it. Not you because like I don't being be alone, too, though. I love being right? alone. So and do I. I mean, the experiences that I get really excited about, he doesn't. So instead of being together and me being super excited and him being like, well, I don't Ugh, I would just I lose agree. my mind. So I'd rather experience it together. And I'd rather him go do what makes him happy. And when we come together, our times together are awesome. Yeah. Mm. Right? Like, I have girlfriends and I have friends and I have family that I can do that stuff with that get super excited yes. about that stuff. And that fuels me and that fills up my tank, right? Yep. I don't need him to pretend that that's what excites him. I agree with that. There's nothing worse than being somewhere with somebody where you know they don't really want to be no. there. And they then you have there to worry you. about what... Uh, I should have just gone with people that wanted to be there. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. yeah. I think it's totally okay. I think I... I think I make the relationship more like the thing that I'm trying to do rather than there's this thing over here and I'm not like trying, I don't want to like pressure her into like doing that thing with me, but it's more just like, actually the more important thing is our relationship. And so like, let's do something that is like, um, about the relationship or like, let's do something that like shows that like, this is us, that we have our own thing. And when we don't have that, then I'll start to get like, okay, well then if it's not going to be this and it's not going to be this, I was, you always go back to like, then what is the relationship? What's the relationship if, um, you don't like any of the things that I like, I don't like any of the things that you like, and then how do you define it? Like, what is a relationship if you don't have these shared things that you both enjoy just doing together and it gives you a lot of life to do them together. Yeah, no, I think regardless of the makeup of your relationship, you have to have some things that you enjoy doing together, right? Like Mm -hmm. there has to be something, some kind of shared, okay, this is our happy place. This is where we reconnect. Maybe it's in the bedroom. Maybe it's that you go for nature walks, like whatever it is. There has to be at least one element of the relationship that's keeping you intimately connected. Otherwise, that goes away. Sure. But, like, how much is, like, is in the bedroom, like, you know, even once a day? Is that really enough that, like, sustains, like, a a viable relationship. So if what does like, just like if you had sex once a day, kind of like thing, if that was the thing that you guys do together, but everything else is like, you guys are just like two entirely different people going in two very, you're just interested in two very different things. Like I understand. Yeah. That's a, if that's what both people are happy with. And yeah, I mean, that's like a pretty extreme example, but it just seems like, what is it that is a relationship? 
outside of just like shared and common interests? I think it is like a sense of safety that you have with somebody where you know no matter what else is going on in life, you have a partner in what you're going through. And having a partner doesn't necessarily mean that they're in every single thing that you're doing all the time, sharing those experiences. But it means if even if you are doing an experience that is outside of your relationship and you come back and you have thoughts or feelings about it or you're whatever, that they're there to, to share your thoughts and feelings about it and that they support you in it. I do think being happy for somebody to have an experience that you don't get to have with them, like genuinely being happy for that, is a good indicator of whether you're in a good partnership for somebody to be like, yeah, that's not a thing I'm into, but so cool that you get to go to that concert or awesome. You open mouth, kiss that musician. Good for you, girl. Like whatever it is. (laughs) That's going to be being happy for each other in your own pursuits is important because that's a true acceptance of who you're with me, the person that they want to be with. Right. Like, right. if I wasn't able to do those things that I want to do, then that's going to make me a totally different person. Right. And maybe not the person they want to be with. And then in turn, I'm not going to be want to be with them. But them supporting or him supporting what I want to do is just, I, I think it's bringing me closer to him. Right? Totally. So, yeah. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. Oh, wait. I wrote on a thing, things I wanted to talk about. Oh, I know a thing I wanted to talk about. Maybe I do want more alcohol. Yeah, you do. Okay, relationships, we've sort of talked about parenting, we've sort of talked about... Oh, I know. Okay. I wanted to talk about this because I feel like I'm a control freak. You guys may or may not know this about me, but... um, So... Or here. Um, okay, so like for example, when I'm working on projects such as, I don't know, fundraising events or something like that that I might do in my spare time, uh, I like really have started to recognize how insane I feel when I don't have control over something. So full disclosure, um, I've been working on a fundraising event and Billy Joe is also involved in the planning of this fundraiser and I trust Billy Joe 100% because I just know that she's going to do the things she says she does and so I have zero anxiety over any of the things that you are doing. Well, but thanks, buddy. but in general when I'm going through other things and I feel like I'm about to lose control over some aspect of something I immediately feel like I'm going to have a meltdown. But I feel like you don't, Nathan doesn't have control issues in this same way. Because sometimes when we're planning things, I'm like, he's so laid back about everything. Am I wrong about this? Because you're always just like, nah, we'll do this. It's fine. Ma, ma, ma. But I'm like, okay, but I'd like to know the time and place and the plan. And I feel like you're very much less control freaky. I'm probably just less control freaky when it comes to events. Because putting things on for people um, has just been something I've done my whole life. And so I've, I feel like I've gotten really good at just knowing what's important and what's not important. And, you know, like we laughed when my buddy Chris got married um, because 
he was putting on a wedding and for him like he's an event coordinator and so for him a wedding was just like throwing another event in the midst of his like 20 events that he's going to run that year and you know it's just so simple for him um but like his wife is like losing her mind about like the details like all these like little kinds of things we're gonna just like got this we got this everything's just gonna be fine you're just gonna like go through it so I think my calmness is probably more in relation to my familiarity with the kinds of things that are stressing you out right um than anything else there are things that do stress me out most certainly um but they're just it's rarely around um putting things on for other people Hmm. Billy Joe? Control freakiness? Um, maybe? Maybe around events that I've done multiple times. Right. Yeah, I could definitely feel like I could have some ownership issues. Ownership (laughs) issues is a nice way of putting it. So much nicer than ownership. I have ownership issues. It's fine. But I'm also learning that I can't do everything on my own and I need to ask for help. And if I can't do it, that there's other people that it would help. help right. Me, right. But I'm also going to tell those people that are helping me what to do and how to do. And if they do it wrong, I'll be very upset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why you Maybe, make a good event coordinator. I don't think I have as much, many control issues as you do around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm going to be honest. Are we well, sounds friends? like you have Are a we some friends? So yeah. <laughs> We can be honest. It's okay. I'm aware of this and trying to work on it. And I'm not really... Uh, I. It's funny because literally I never would have been like, I'm a control freak. But in the last couple of years, I'm like, oh, no, I'm definitely a control freak. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Okay. So it's just Well, me let's then. explore this a little <laughs> bit for a second. What... Like, give me an example of what you're trying to control. What, what does that even um, mean? Like if someone everything. disagrees, if someone says, no, I want red, you're going to be like, no, I want blue. Because that is a very unfamiliar, like for me, I get, I step up when there's no one else stepping up. Right. And some people might interpret that as me controlling, but I don't care if it's red or blue or green in the end. Like I don't care about those kinds of details. I care that there's a color. Like I care that it's getting done and that we're moving forward and that things are happening. And so um, like usually I'm like the last stop on those kinds of things where it's like, oh my God, we need this thing, blah, blah, blah. And I can just make a decision and, and like carry on. It's not stressful for me to be able to do that. So like which at which level of this are you a control freak? Um, I think it's mostly if I start to feel like so I helped to plan an event this summer for a bunch of friends. And by helped, I mean I planned it and created, you know, these cute little things to go along with it and sent it out to our friends, like this is what we're doing, whatever. And then if I start to feel like people aren't kind of like respecting the plan okay. <laughs> or they're making decisions where I'm – kind of like, okay, well, this changes the dynamic of the day in some kind of way that I haven't accounted for, then I start to feel very out of control. Mm. Okay. And I wish I could be more chill. I wish I could just be like, it's not that big of a deal. 
it's just, you know, a fun event for friends. Like, it's not the end of the world. Nothing is going to... It's not a life-changing situation. But I immediately get filled with anxiety. And then feel like I need to try to regain that sense of control. Which makes me... Yeah, so Not great. it sounds like probably more for you. Like if you hand something off to Billy Joe, you can stop thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, no worries. You know None. it's yeah. taken care of. It's yeah. not part of what needs to go on. If you hand uh, something off to someone else, it's not that if they like change it a little bit, where if you're like, you know, make sure everybody gets an option, gets you know their selection of red wine and then they're like no we're gonna give them white wine you don't care because people are getting wine right and you're happy with that you don't care yeah but if they're like if they just don't show up or they're like or they're late or something like that your larger concern is that the the main thing which is like hospitality of the guests is not getting taken care of and that's gonna fall back on you yeah because you need to do it and if you don't do it then you're going to be perceived as someone who doesn't actually know how this thing goes. And this is this actually does fall back on you not doing it well. Yeah, like I would never even hand off a piece of control to somebody that I didn't trust, which mm-hmm. is part of my problem because then I'm just like keeping everything because I'm like, well, no, I'll, you know. Yeah, but I do know. I, I think this might be a Char problem and not an eight problem. So we can move on. <laughs> we can move on. <laughs> No, it sounds like an eight problem because I think that eights hate, um, like, well, eight, the, the biggest Achilles heel for an eight is not wanting to be perceived as weak and weak is like another, well, we, we just, we aren't weak. And so we'll just say that. Right. And so it, but if something goes wrong because you haven't thought about it well, or if like people aren't being taken care of because you know you didn't make a good enough plan like and that can come back on you for doing something wrong that's going to cause a lot of anxiety because you're trying to like protect yourself from anyone actually interpreting this as like oh Shah ran it that's why there's no wine that's why that this this didn't go on you know that didn't Maybe. Go and that's like that's like the worst case scenario yeah. that this comes back on you um not being like strong enough to like be able to figure out exactly how this should be executed. Maybe. Can we go back to that statement? You said that we're not weak. This is the problem that I'm finding is that people that are doing the Enneagram in my family and my friends that say to me that I don't like, I don't show emotion and that I'm kind of a bitch and I'm kind of cold hearted or whatever goes along with being an eight. I feel like they're kind of putting me into a bit of a box about it. Like that I don't have any sort of feeling. Meanwhile, I'm like a really sensitive, emotional mm-hmm. teddy bear. Yeah. Yeah. When no one's around and no one can see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I find that people just say, well, you know, you're, you're an eight or, or you're a Leo because I'm also a Leo. So they say that you just don't show those emotions. Right. I a Leo too. When's no, your birthday? You're October 6th, right? Yeah, when's your birthday? August. You're a Libra. Libra, yeah, I am a Libra. So, but I feel like people are putting me in this, like, and even, like, my family does that. And I'm like, but I'm really, I'm sensitive. Like, I'm probably one of the most sensitive people. I just don't show it. 
Mm-hmm. So how do you, the exterior that you show to people, how do you get them to understand that you're really not like that? Um, well, why do you need them to understand? Because then I think that I'm perceived or I'm made out to be like that I don't care about things. But why? This is the game that my friends will play with me. Why do you care how you're perceived? <clears throat> I don't care how I'm perceived. <laughs> you don't? No. It sounds like you do. I know. <laughs> I think it's more with my partner when my partner will say that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't show that side really to anybody. Yeah, because if you did, what would it say about you? Oh, that I was hella weak. And I don't want anyone to ever think that, right? But at the same time, I, w- I do want people to know that, like, I am super sensitive and I'm super emotional. Like, But you don't want them to think you're weak? I know. But is that weak? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Fuck. this is the fucked up part about us is we're so bold and confident with our... Uh, transparency like we'll tell you anything mm-hmm. in fact we'll tell you way more than you want to know because it's a it's a defense mechanism yeah. that protects our actual vulnerable spots like when you say that um, you are quite sensitive and that you do uh, you know you do really like care about these kinds of things um, like that's an easy thing to say, but to reveal it because then you're revealing to somebody else that they can affect you. Right. Oh, which is the worst right. feeling. I why? Have a situation and like why that is it the today. worst for you? Um, I don't know. I just don't like it. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't feel good. No, no, no. We're not going to stop with, I don't know. I don't like it. <laughs> like what? Because what does it say about you? If, if, if. Somebody that I'm like needy and weak. I don't like that feeling. Right. Yeah. But like one of the best things you, you ever are told a little me bit. is information is not vulnerability. It's yeah. Which somebody told you, I believe. Yeah. It's and like you an, relate it's it to a, me. But I think I learned it at the it, Enneagram that, retreat. That made like I because the re, one of the reasons why I never would have thought I was an eight is because I'm like I'm so vulnerable. I talk about my shit all the time. But that's not the same thing as being truly vulnerable. And there's very few people that have seen me be really vulnerable if I really think about it. And if I even have weird moments where I'm like, oh, all of a sudden my my feelings feel hurt about something stupid that happened at work where I wasn't invited to do a thing that a bunch of other girls were going to do together. And I literally don't even care about making friends at work. Like it doesn't bother me. I have great friends outside of work. Well, then what? Instantly my feelings are hurt. Right. And so... But I don't want people to know that. Why not? Because it's gross. What's gross about it? I don't know. That I just think I'm cooler than that. And this is... And this is our... This is our problem. Mm-hmm. Because we don't want people to know that deep down... We're so sensitive. We are vulnerable. Like, we do have these needs where we want people to accept us and... Um, like desire to be around us and care about us and choose us. Mm-hmm. And it does hurt. 
if um, they don't. Yeah. But like, God knows we're never going to tell them if it doesn't. But like in a relationship, it's probably the most important thing an eight can do is um, like give them that. Like just say I've like that I've been trying to be a me. bit more, a bit more lean into that a bit more and be a little bit more willing to be like that hurt my feelings. Even when it feels so like to me, it just feels childish. <laughs> like I'm like, why do you care? You know, some of the stuff, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it just feels like, why does it matter? It doesn't matter. There's so many bigger, weird things in life to think about than this one little stupid instance. But if it hurts my feelings, I can't help it. You can't help your feelings. You just feel them. Right. Right. And is that okay? Eh. Or have we judged everybody with their <laughs> their <laughs> their hurt feelings for our entire lives that it feels weird to acknowledge that, oh my God, we have feelings and we're hurt too. I didn't like the way I felt when my feelings were like super, super hurt. I don't, and I don't, so I don't ever want to go back to feeling like my feelings are hurt. If that makes sense. When like, were your feelings, you uh, don't have to say specifically, but when, like a time that your feelings have been super, super hurt, was it, I, this is what I would like to know. Is it a situation where you think the, the people around you in that situation, whatever was causing it, realized that your feelings were super, super hurt? <clears throat> oh, I'm sure they knew they hurt my feelings big time. Okay. But it wasn't until I was in therapy and my therapist said to me, tell me the t- last time you felt like this. Oh. And it went back to a feeling of feelings hurt, abandonment as a child. Interesting. And I was like, fuck that. I don't <laughs> want to think about those <laughs> things. Right? Uh-huh. And I was like, I never want to feel like that again. So then up goes another wall. And you're right. like, I never want. But I think that's why when my feelings do get hurt, I just don't want. It's so deep. Oh, it's so yeah. deep. But I don't want to tell anybody. Yeah. But I also feel like I need to tell people because I want people to know that I'm like not a robot and I do have feelings. Because um, my mom will even say to me sometimes, she's like, I never know where I stand with you. And I am I love my mother Aww. more than anybody in the whole world. That's a sad thing. And that breaks my heard. heart. Yeah, absolutely. But I think sometimes she likes to do that just to make me <laughs> feel a little she bad. She knows. Oh, she needs a little extra love but that she's week. she's like, I just don't know sometimes like where I stand with you. And I'm just like, oh my God, do I make people feel like that? Because I want the people that I care about to know that I care about them. And I feel like I do. Maybe she's just being a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> What's her name? Just, I know she is. What's her name? Beth Ann. Beth Ann. Beth Ann, we love you. <laughs> She's my favorite. But so, yeah, I guess that goes back to your weird, like the feelings being hurt and what that makes you feel and how, where that stems from, right? And I don't want to feel like that ever <laughs> again. But okay, but don't you think it's because if you admit that your feelings are hurt about something, mm-hmm. it exposes a part of you. To that person that is then vulnerable for the rest of your life because they know that they have this little piece of you that they know how to get to you Mm -hmm. and hurt you if they need to. Like it's a protection thing. Yeah. Right? But why do you feel the need to protect yourself? I don't know because I feel like I had like a fairly charmed childhood. So where did all this trauma come from? (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, like, none of us want 
like the the core need for an eight is the need to be strong. Yeah. Right. And so any um, thought or idea that somebody else has on us that we aren't strong is like the worst case scenario for us. Like we hate the idea that somebody thinks of us as like weak or childish or any like all those kinds of things are like are very like repulsive to us. Is that partially not wanting to be a burden on people though? Like, well, because a burden means that you're weak and you need somebody. Right. And none of us want to need somebody else because if we need somebody else, then we're weak. Everything can tie back to it. It's crazy when you think about it. Every time that you feel like those kinds of things, it all comes back to this incessant, like, like discomfort with the idea that, um, somebody is going to see those like very raw parts of ourselves. Right. But is there someone in your life that you have like let see that and you haven't been scared to show them that? Yeah. Now I think it like there's definitely when I started recognizing this in myself, um, I'm very intentional about opening that those parts up of myself to more and more people that I do trust because I think intellectually, like I know I trust, you know, 10 people say, Mm -hmm. but like naturally maybe one of those 10 people I'd actually let in. Right. And so it was a lot of work, but I think that it was very important to me to recognize that I'm so guarded. I have so many walls up. I'm not letting those people in. Um, so if I intentionally like work to like drop those walls for those people, I, I think it actually just built really beautiful and good relationships with those people that I didn't ever know that I wasn't there already with them. Hmm. Is there somebody that you have let in? Oh, yes. Yeah. But it's somebody that has been in my life for a million years and I feel like they know who I have been through all the stages of my life, mm-hmm. right? So I think that that's someone that I can be vulnerable with. But I just wonder if, like, you're not supposed to ask me. I'm supposed to ask you. Of course. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering, as people that have walls up and have all these, like, trust issues and stuff, is there somebody, like, have we ever let that down? Like, have you ever been able to let that down? Well, this is the whole thing around safety. Yeah. That's why I I wouldn't mind talking about safety because like, who is it that actually we do feel safe enough around to, um, expose those parts of ourselves and to actually kind of like, let them see that like we are scared or we do feel lonely or we do feel, you know, aimless. Like those are like hard things to admit. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you can admit those to certain people that you do feel safe around, like it, it does create a very beautiful bond and it is a very good thing. Uh, but I think a lot of eights just like never do. Mm-hmm. Like they never actually admit those kinds of things because they never feel safe enough. Hmm. So I think that I don't think I've always been an eight. I think that <laughs> I think it's not how it works. I think but, it has. The, like uh, for me, I think it is when I think of who I was. In my previous life, I don't think I was an eight before I like 
got my balls. Or you were suppressing your eight. I was, maybe I was suppressing my eight. Mm-hmm. But I feel that... I suppressed my eight, I think, for a long time. Too. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, as Chris Hertz would say, mm-hmm. you don't suppress your eight. Your eight is suppressing the true version of yourself. Like, the eight is actually just your ego. It's the parts about you that... Um, it's the patterns that you follow that suppress, like, the true version of Shar or Billy Joe. Mm-hmm. And or so Nathan. There are certain patterns that we have, like, got into in routines that just say, oh, yeah, that's, like, that's how the eight functions in the world. Um, it's not something that, like we want to like necessarily be proud of because those kinds of patterns aren't necessarily great. Like what we're trying to get to is our true selves. And the eight is just that, um, facade that sort of like hovers over it and says, yeah, we're trying to, this is really who I am. This is really who I am. And we do that through our eightness. Hmm. And now as you start to come into like a realization of who you really are, um, your eightness is actually gets diminished quite a bit more than it was when you were younger. Really? So it's actually probably the opposite for you. You're probably more eight as like a 22 year old than you are now. I don't agree with that. I don't feel that either. I don't, I don't resonate with that either. It's great. Why not? Well, maybe my eight just appeared in different ways. When I was little, I didn't want to be, like, my mom could look at me sideways and I would go clean my room or do whatever. Like, I didn't want to be, I was I was so obedient and didn't want to cause any trouble and was just very, you know, not that my parents were, like, militant, <laughs> but... I didn't, I was not sure of myself at all. I felt nervous all the time. I was anxious kid and didn't want to disappoint people and just wanted to be good and not be, maybe that is eight. I didn't want to be a burden. This is like coming full circle now, but I was just very, I just wanted to be good and like do the right thing and have my parents be proud I would test my limits for sure. Like as a teenager, I was not a goody two shoes. I definitely did things my parents don't know I did, but I was also really good at lying and manipulating so that they didn't have to see those things. Like it, they still thought I was pretty good. I think they probably knew I was doing a little bit that I shouldn't have been doing. <laughs> but but like an eight, it has nothing to do with what you did. It has everything to do with why you are doing it. It's all about like the Enneagram is about instincts and motive and like the what you were trying to do, what you were trying to hide, what you were like driven by. Yeah. Like that's what's at the the root of it. I think I never wanted to be a worry for anybody. I never wanted to be a burden. I never wanted to Yeah, and why not? I never I just never even like older when I would run into problems I wouldn't want to tell my parents that I was running out of money in college or whatever it was like I just never wanted them to have to worry about me or to be not perfect 
Because if they did worry about you or you weren't perfect, what would that say about you? Just that I wasn't like a good girl, you know. You weren't good. Yeah. Hmm. Which is funny because I, I feel like my parents, my relationship with my parents was is pretty healthy. But I also had a hole in my heart and cried for the first year of my life and nobody knew I had a hole in my heart and then I had heart surgery when I was oh, like one. a literal hole in oh, your heart like, it sounded so emotional so <laughs> no I had an actual hole in my heart and my okay. parents didn't know and so I just would like cried every time they would try to lay me down for the first year of my life and then I had open heart surgery when I was one and I've always wondered how that trauma has affected me for the rest of my life like I for sure have weird anxieties about hospitals and doctors that mm-hmm. Maybe some from there, but also, you know, I've also heard my family tell stories about how I cried for the first year of my life and all this stuff since I was young, which makes me wonder if that's part of the reason why I have been like, okay, I don't, like, I don't want to be somebody that they have to worry about or fuss about or be bothered by, you know? So maybe... Like, when you say your first year, like, you mean, like, when you were a baby? I was born okay. with a valve that didn't fully shut, and sometimes those valves shut on their own, mm-hmm. and sometimes they don't, but when I was born, my parents had no idea that I even had it, so until I was one year old, and my doctor heard a heart murmur, and then referred me to a heart specialist, and then they figured out that I had this kind of thing that doesn't close on its own, and um, then I had to have, like, open-heart surgery. So when I was one year old, my parents had to, like, hold me down while doctors were needling me and putting IVs in me and stuff like that and had this traumatic mm-hmm. experience and then surgery. And then the next day, I, my mom and dad are like, you were a different kid. Like, all, all of a sudden, wow. I was just, like, happy and running around and, you know, but for a year, I couldn't – I obviously couldn't explain to them that I was in pain – so they just thought they had like a colicky baby, essentially. Wow. Right? So I'm sure at some point, I don't know. And hearing the stories, like my grandma can't talk about holding me down so neither, doctors could put an IV in me without getting teary-eyed. Like, so I've heard these stories since I was little too, which I think probably does affect you to be like, okay, like I get that it's funny now. Like now it's like a joke. Like, oh, you cried for the first year of my life. I'm like, yeah, okay. But like I had a hole in my heart. Yeah. Hello. (laughs) I wasn't just like an asshole, (laughs) you know? I had a heart murmur too. Did you? They thought my mom was having twins because they heard two heartbeats. Whoa. So so my father said we're naming them Billy Joe and Bobby Joe. And my mom was like, (laughs) (laughs) but it was the 70s. And there was a lot of pot. That's cute. <laughs> so he thought that was big group, super groovy. I thought you were going to say that your dad said that they were naming them Billy and Joe. Oh, and they God. thought, and then that was your name. <laughs> they just combined it. Yeah. Yeah. But they heard two heartbeats. And then only me. It was only me. Could you imagine two of me? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> well, one, you couldn't have been two eights. That, there wouldn't be enough room in one womb. No, I, no, I would have pushed Probably her. an eight and a nine. What are, do you know your wing? Seven. Yeah. Because I did it. Remember when I messaged you and said I did it? It said I was a seven wing eight. Oh. Well, I yeah, think I straddle the eight seven. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Just just right down the middle. <laughs> yeah, sounds like me. And you're also a wing seven? I think I'm a wing nine. Okay. 
But I don't know, because no test has ever told me I'm an eight, so. That's a good point. I just diagnosed you. Yeah. All the reading and everything I've done, I believe I'm an eight. And then I've been getting more into wings in the last little bit. And I I feel like an eight wing nine. Just because of that, um, like, conflict situation between eights and nines. Mm-hmm. What's your wing? Seven. Seven. Oh. Jesus. For sure a seven. When I read seven, it resonates more Does it? with what I think I am. Mm-hmm. When I read it, I'm like, that sounds more like me than an eight. Yep. But maybe she's Which, seven. Like, she shouldn't be on this oh podcast. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, Get no, out of here. Seven, I relate a ton with a seven, for sure. Who else? Oh, we won't say names on podcast. We'll talk about this after. Start naming Side them. Side note. <laughs> hmm. What else is on your list? Do you have anything else on your yeah, list? Yeah, we're at an hour 20. She has to leave in five. Um, no, okay. I just canceled it because I'm, I'm into the wine. I'm not, oh. going, I'm not going to yoga. <laughs> oh, no, I can't go so to here yoga. we go. I can't go to yoga. When I'm okay, like, good. Then I have lots more. Um, okay, I wanted to talk to you about... Travel and nature, Mm -hmm. because I feel like this is a big theme in your life. And I would like to know what you feel you get from that, whether it's related to eightness or not, but just to see if there's something that resonates there. I think, I don't know if it comes from eightness. I think it comes, so when my boys were little, they were probably four and nine I decided that I wanted to take that trip that I took last year um, and travel once they were out of the house. Mm-hmm. And um, what was that trip? Just so that, that our trip was across seven Canada. listeners know. <laughs> the trip was across Canada uh, for five months by myself in a trailer. Amazing. That I restored with my partner. And <clears throat> I never traveled, never traveled until I was probably. 35. I hadn't really gone anywhere because I was busy raising babies and being self-employed and living just very simply. Mm -hmm. Um, But I knew I wanted to do that. And so I just am stubborn as fuck and just was like, (laughs) this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And then... So the traveling part, like I said, didn't start till I was later in life, but it was after I took planning for that trip and thinking about that trip and what I want to do in the future. Um, now it's like snowballing for me, I think, because that's all I think about is traveling. And I think... You got that travel bug. I think, and the boys will say to me, like, we never did anything like that, like trips like that. Like I did camping and we did trips within Ontario was that because of financial or was that because of whatever? That's all I knew. Maybe, you know, both. But they're like, what? why didn't we travel like this? All the things that you're doing and you want to do, we never did that. And I was like, but it wasn't until I was older. And I think I'm glad that I waited until I was older mm-hmm. to do that kind of stuff. More appreciation for mm-hmm. what it is. For sure. Get your foot off. What? Take your foot off the mic. Oh, sorry. Oh. For sure. That's all we're going to hear. It's but... That's all, like, I'm constantly dreaming of where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. Hmm. It's very 70. Yeah. It is, yeah. Like, 
I feel like so I think you. I think Nathan so said to me actually when I we were talking about me taking the position last year, you were like, mm -hmm. "Are you going to stick around? <laughs> Are you not like for now?" But and I won't be leaving anytime soon because I do love my job. But if she does, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> Dave actually says the only reason I think you're still in Sarnia is because of your job, mm -hmm. which makes me sad for him that he says that. Because it's him too. Well, he's like, I don't think there's anything keeping you. Like, your kids are older. But he's keeping you here, is what I'm saying. Is he keeping you here a little bit? Not yeah. <laughs> yes and no. Like. But, like, he, would he go with you? No. Like, he's, so, like, oh, rooted hard. here in, in Sarnia. This well, is his place. The last trip we went on, so we went on west again, just in September. And I'm in love with this little weird inbred town called Hope. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, could you live here? And he's like, maybe, like, from where what he does for work, he probably could get a job near mm -hmm. there. But honestly, I just don't think he's... Does yeah. he have family that he's close to here? He has family here. He's not super close with them. I'm much closer with my family. But he just doesn't have that wanderlust at all. He's very mm -hmm. content here in Sarnia. He's very simple. He mm -hmm. has very simple wants and needs, and mm -hmm. um, I just don't think that's in him to do to go. Mm -hmm. So he, I mean, after I came back from that trip last year, he's like, I, every time I come home, I'm always surprised that the the trailer's still here. I just think you're gonna leave one day, um, and he's like, I just, I know you are, and it's gonna be tough, but we'll have to figure that out. So I don't know what I don't know what that means. Mm. I don't know what that's gonna look like, but I'm not leaving anytime soon. Sarnia it's so funny because I grew up with Sarnia like as part of my DNA mm -hmm. and even when I went away to university everyone at school knew me as like the guy that was going back to Sarnia because that's really everyone's talking about where they were gonna go what jobs they were gonna get and I was like well I'm going back to Sarnia like that was just like in embedded deep within everything that I understood about like purpose and meaning and direction and all that kind of stuff. Which now, is kind of odd considering, which is kind of odd considering you weren't super rooted in your family here. No, not my family, but was definitely it the church. The, the church was okay. A, obviously the church was a huge yeah. part of it in my relationships. Um, but like, as I grew like as I was back in Sarnia and I was starting to like evolve, um, less and less became about the city and it like, it actually became much more individualized in terms of like my own hopes for my own life. Right. Where before it was more like almost communal. Like it was like this like idea that I had of the place that I was in that like got me really excited about things. Um, and now, like, I, it's crazy to say, but, like, I'll have a thought where I'm like, oh, like, I wonder what it would be like to go and film whales for a year in the Antarctica, which is, like, a crazy thought for me because oh, amazing, it never would have happened, you know, 10 years ago. Right. Because it was always like, what is... What is Sarnia and how, like, how am I going to evolve Sarnia? What am I going to do? Like, how, how, what are we going to change here? How are we going to grow it? And now it's not even close to that. Like, I don't think about that nearly as often. 
ironically, like I'm a city councilor and I have way more influence on how Sarnia mm-hmm. is going to change, but it just is like less meaningful to me overall. Well, and I think Sarnia was really good for me for raising my kids, having a small business, the community. For sure. And now I'm just like, okay, now I'm ready. It's not, I mean, I love Sarnia. I love the people in Sarnia. I love my people, but I just want to explore because I didn't get to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and being by myself, like on that trip by myself, I just kept saying to Dave, I love being by myself. Like I've never been by myself. Um, yeah see this is a weird thing too because billy joe and i both love being alone and you can't be alone no i like it uncomfortable oh my god there's nothing better than going home from work on a friday night and knowing i don't have to speak to a single person after but i like to like go to the brewery have a drink with people i love and then know that at like 6 30 i'm going home by myself i don't have to hear a single person speak to me that i don't want to hear speak and i can just be alone for that evening that is heaven to me mm-hmm. i love it but traveling alone i don't think i would enjoy at all which you love i love i love like two weekends ago i went in my new van and yeah. i just took off see i'd be I, bored it was amazing because i went for a walk and i ran into Naomi and friends and Naomi's like come back tonight and have a fire I was like yeah sure and meanwhile in my head I'm like fuck that I'm, I mean <laughs> I love you girl but I, I, I sat by the fire I read I ate what I wanted I did what I wanted I went and laid down I went and you know oh. just did my thing and I was oh, see so I would have wanted one person with me that I no. really love getting drunk and having conversation with no. for that yeah yeah. Do you guys know your subtypes, like sexual, social, or self-preservation? I think self-preservation? I'm sexual, but I don't know for sure. I don't know it. Mm. It's worth, like, Beatrice Chestnut gets into those quite a bit and starts describing them. It's worth, like, reading through them and understanding. And I think the her understanding is that you sort of have, like, a primary one, a secondary one, and then the one that you suppress of those three. But, like, mine is, I'm definitely, like, a social sexual, and then I suppress my self-preservation. And so... Like, I really only understand myself and my own happiness um, through, like, my relationships. So the idea of being alone is, like, so lonely to me. Like, I I don't enjoy anything by myself. Like, if I'm by myself, it's hard for me to enjoy it. Really? So... Like, to a point of, like, even watching a show... Like I do not enjoy oh. watching a TV show by myself Crappy because I'm like TV I'm not sharing this with anybody. Yes, like I want to share it with people. I want to like laugh alongside of someone. I don't know what it is. Like, and I'm trying to actually grow out of that because. Do you feel like it's, it's not happening unless there's somebody there to witness it with you? Mm, no, I I feel like maybe like maybe that's a good way to describe it. But I just more feel very lonely, hmm. and I don't like it. I'm like, what the, what the frig is the point what of if all you this? If I'm by f- myself, like, by myself, like, then it's literally just what the things that are going on in my own brain. But, like, the experience of, like, sharing that with somebody where someone else's essence is interacting with your essence, like, there's something so meaningful and significant in that for me that the idea of it just, like, all existing here is just, it's meaningless to me. Like, I... I I get nothing out of it and I just 
try to I used to get really anxious being alone I don't get anxious anymore but I just don't care like I don't want to be alone so I'm constantly looking for people that want to like share life with me and share moments with me and do things with me can't relate I just think I don't ever think about being lonely I think about like getting to know myself and doing what I want to do hey Billy Joe what do you want to do what do you want to eat what do you want to read you guys just haven't known yourself as much I feel like I know myself very well no 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 but this was going to be my other question because because is it that you don't want to is it that you need to be with other people or is it that being with other people is a distraction from being with yourself yeah, yeah. People have said that. Because I think I use... It would be interesting to know... I need to do more reading about those t- subtypes, but it would be interesting to know how those things change because I used to not be able to be alone. And I wanted to be with people all the time. I didn't like being alone and whatever. Now, I need alone time to survive and be a healthy, happy individual. But through that process I have also realized that part of the reason why I couldn't be alone before is because I needed a distraction from dealing with my own stuff and now Mm. I don't and I embrace the alone time and I need the alone time and I'm okay with all that but a few years ago I I hated being alone yeah so it could be a distraction um like I think it probably was more of a distraction when I felt really anxious and didn't like being by myself. Now I'm like, I'm just, it's so, it's just nothing to me. Like I'm like, like I don't feel anxious by myself. I'm just like, well, what's the point? I'm just ready to carry on. And then I'm excited. Like I used to like get home. Like I remember when I was married, like I would get home and if no one was home, I would like, Send out a bunch of texts. What are you doing? 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 And then I'd like wait for someone to respond. Like, eh. and then like, and then I'd like set something up to like go off and do. I do not do that anymore now. Like I'm, I'm much more comfortable in my own skin. At the time, I wasn't, um, but I still don't prefer it. If there's ever an option to like do something or not or just be alone, I'm always gonna choose to do something every single time. There's never a time that I won't. Right. I want to talk about sex. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about sex. Because I feel like Billy Joe and I have had some interesting conversations around this subject. And also, disclaimer for my mom and dad or any other family that might be listening right now, this is your cue to turn the podcast off. Or Brody, who told me he was going to listen to it. Thanks, bro. (laughs) Turn this podcast off now. You know enough. Parents. I have a question for you. Yes. Do you feel like you had a sexual awakening at a certain age? Uh, yes. Do you remember it? I have been horny since I can remember. Oh. I was sexually active younger than I probably should have been. And have just always been very sexual. If that's like a term to, to put it. Like, mm-hmm. not that I was, like, always a hoe, but, like, I have just always been sexual. And then in my early 20s, I had a couple of sexual experiences where I was like, ooh, 
sorry, my late, <laughs> this would have been my late, te- before I got married, so mm-hmm. 18 maybe, had a couple sexual experiences where I was like, oh, okay, I might be into some weird stuff. And then got married, had a very vanilla situation happening through those almost two years, and then got divorced and started dating as an adult woman. And probably when I was about 26, had like a whole new revelation of what it means to be a sexual female Mm -hmm. and embrace my sexuality and be in charge of my sexuality and just like really have no shame about what I wanted for myself. Because I feel, I just am interested. I'm always interested to talk to women about when they feel that they had that like, Sorry, am I touching with my foot? <laughs> it being the microphone stand. Um, the, like, if at what point you had a sexual, like, an, an aha moment? Yeah, I think, like, my mid to late 20s is the first time that I really started to enjoy sex for myself. Right. Like, not just, is the man enjoying it? Can I make him be satisfied? But what do I want? What do I need out of it? Was probably, like, my mid to late 20s. And... And is always evolving. Right. Like, yeah, even sure. now, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, finding new things that I'm like, oh, that's nice, you know? It's interesting. It's very interesting. Nathan, you going to weigh in on this? <laughs> I'm just, so bored of just... this conversation. You Like, only because it's the gender thing. Why? Well, like, sex isn't something that I'm like awakened to why uh because it's always feel felt like something that i've been in control of and i can do sort of what i want with it gross okay (laughs) interesting like it's just not a there was no like aha moment or anything like that for me really there's never been a point in your life where you're like oh this is what good sex is um no it'll come (laughs) (laughs) no like and i i've had good sex for sure i've had good sex and it's just not a i don't know it's like just your god-given right as a white well that's the thing is it's not the same it's definitely not the same because what a guy gets out of sex is different than what a woman gets out of sex. And that's true. This um, might be a gender like the it's not like I'm constantly like trying to grasp at like this is for them. Like it's I've always benefited out of it. Right. And so, yeah, that benefit continually gets better. Like I do enjoy the growth of like the evolution of my sexual awakening and it, it like I start to understand more and I start to um, enjoy things more and more, but there's certainly no like aha moment where I'm like, Oh, this is what sex is. That's that's, it's just always been that. Must be nice to be a man. Jeez. Yeah. There's definitely benefits to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm sort of checked out. 
of this conversation only because I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Hmm. What about sexuality and um, polyamory or commitment or how we define those things? Yeah, like I have a lot of baggage with sex just because of my religious upbringing. Um, So sex for me was always this very uh, sacred, um, intimate thing that was something that two people that were like very committed to one another just like did as and they were the only ones allowed to do it like that's how i understood it at first right um now i definitely understand it differently but i don't think i've lost the baggage of uh it's it's sacredness I still find it a sacred thing. I still think that sex is this like um, very intimate thing that you share with someone else um, that I don't know. I think it should just be guarded and not frivolously given away. Right. Like you guys are shaking your heads. Carry on. Well, no, I just feel like that's that is the type of sexual interaction that you've had too. So you haven't necessarily had a variety of different kinds of interactions. Am I right about that? We don't I have to talk about it. I have not had a variety. Right. Well, and so, if by variety you mean a variety of partners. I just mean, well, in a variety, in a of, variety like, of positions, in, is that because then maybe in a variety of partners, that also means like in a variety of situations and what you're like, I think probably yeah, yeah. Billy Joe and I have had a more broad understanding of sexual interaction with male and female partners. Does sex equal love to you? No. Okay. No, no. I think. Sex just happened, like, as a, at a young age, sex was, like, this thing that, like, I was trying really hard to, like, withhold for only that person that I did love. Right. Now, I see it much more as, like, which might be so, to me, it's so sad that I, I look at it this way, but I just see it as, like, two people that, like, can do nice, it's like speaking nicely to someone else. Like, it makes them feel good. And so you speak nicely to someone else. And then the other person speaks nicely back and it makes you feel good. Like, it's just two people doing things to each other that makes them feel good. Like, it's it's this very, like, carnal, physical thing now for me. Um, it doesn't have all the, like, baggage of religion and um, sacredness that it once did. Right. Did you grow up with any of that, like religion? I did. Oh, you did. I did absolutely. Okay. Not as much as Nathan, I think, but I did. Was yeah, church was a big part of our life. And when I was got pregnant, I was a sexually active seventeen year old. I was like not shunned from the church, but they did not like that. Um, They would have hated me. (laughs) Yeah. I remember having a conversation with someone in my youth group about uh, premarital sex, and I questioned premarital sex to him. Like, 
when you buy a new car, you don't you try a few out? I think was my exact wordage, and he told his parents, and then I wasn't allowed to hang out with him. <laughs> but I was like, aren't we supposed to be questioning things? Like, isn't that the what we're supposed to be doing? Um, and then I got pregnant, and of course, it's because <laughs> you've always been an eight. Everybody was like, we know it. We knew it. <laughs> That's why you couldn't hang out with that Billy Joe girl. And I bought him a B-52s tape. So that was like <gasps> very, like, that's scandal. Oh um, yeah. So, but church was not embedded into my head that I, or that I had to worry about that when it came to sex. God, no, no. But I didn't feel like sex really was a part of. I didn't have an awakening till I was like late thirties for sure. For sure. Mm. You're Nathan. What is the awakening? Tell me. Okay. This is how I describe it. Do you remember the wizard of Oz? Yeah. When everything's black and white and all of a sudden she's like in color. Okay. That's when it happens. But what does that entail? Like, does that mean I have like a beautiful, I'm really excited if that's the case. You'll know, like you I just knew. I, I I know that exact moment. I know what I was doing, who was behind me, what was, there was an air yeah. conditioner in my... See, booth. I feel like I had that when I was like 26. <laughs> I feel like everything just clicked. Mm-hmm. Clicked. Yeah. Black and, and white to color. Like, and so sex then from that moment on meant something different to you? Or like you were able to get more out of it? or I, like I think it's a feeling of control. Right, because uh, it was before that control. that mm. I was newly single and decided that I was going to like spend some time alone with myself and figure, sort this out. Like, what was sex? What was my body? What was going on? Yeah. What did I need? What did I need to be getting? And then it was after that that I think when you're in control of mm-hmm. it, then that's when it happens. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Okay. So before you were just what? I thought I was recipients of of vessels. You were vessels of. I thought it was good. I thought it was great. Like it was fun. It was fun. I was having a good time. But it's also like a little bit of an act. Like I feel like I used to be more performative when I was younger. Like oh yeah, mm mm mm. And now I'm like like I won't fake an orgasm now. And I would have when I was younger. Where you would have before. A hundred percent. Because you were, they were included in your understanding yeah, of what was going Yeah, and it's not that on. the sex wasn't enjoyable in some level, because it was, but it was like, at a certain point, I'm done, you're done, like, let's just wrap this thing up, because you don't know what you're doing. And, and then as you get older, you learn your body more, too, and you learn what feels good and how to ask for you what you want and stuff like that. But I think faking orgasms is a real disservice to your partner because if you yeah. it's pretend you're having Very a great rude. orgasm, then they're going to think that's what you like. But I didn't know what one was, and I didn't know why I was faking it. I thought I was enjoying it. Until you were Until I had one and then was like, my head like went off my body, turned around and came and landed back on my head. At what was, age was that? Um, 36, 37. Okay. For but, your first orgasm? Yeah. <gasps> but I didn't know. Billy Joe. I you know. don't know. So How you have you watched, have you, you watched um, on Netflix Woo. Explained? Yeah. The one, the episode on the female yeah. orgasm, and it's that comedian girl, and she's like, she was saying the same thing, like she didn't know what it was, right. and yeah. it was like, okay, sex, blah blah blah, and then she realized that she was missing out on this whole thing, and so yeah. she like set up this whole thing where she had her first orgasm, and it was like, 
Holy oh, fuck. Okay, like, so see, everything this is, is different. I was yeah. giving myself orgasms when I was like 12. Like before I ever was sexually uh, active, I was like giving myself orgasms. So I've been having orgasms for a hot minute. You know what I mean? I thought I was. I was feeling good. Because it felt good, but it, it wasn't good, the orgasm. But it wasn't till, Mm-mm. but there are, you know, yeah. So I think I had my first one at 36, clitoral, and then vaginal orgasm was 38. Good for you, girl. I'm I know, glad you it was got July 8th, and I'll never Ooh. forget it. Some, some, some women, Let's end on that note. Some, some women never get them. Some women never. never get them. Never. I think the stats were something like 40% of women don't. Yeah, it's high. I think it's less. It's, it's, yeah. But it's interesting because you don't know if you don't have if you haven't had it. No. You wouldn't know you haven't had an orgasm. You're like, this no. feels nice. Well, and we're real good at convincing ourselves that that was, that was good. Yeah. Well, you just think it's good. You just like, that. Oh, I enjoyed that. I felt good. Like, yeah. I acted I no like idea. I had an orgasm. Does that mean I had an orgasm? I was definitely having orgasms at a very young age. <laughs> That's what's, the thing too, like very young. Oh, like very young, like six. No, no, I'm not kidding. Yeah, little boys really? have weird wet dream penis. Yeah, no, like it was <laughs> like a, it was very accidental and it was very like shit. This is great, and then like it just became a it's like a regular habit. Like you just like, oh, th- that feels nice. Gonna go to bed to that, and then you just did. My, I'm not gonna say that on. On podcast. Well, non podcast talk. <laughs> I'll hit stop and then I'll tell you. Okay. Oh, we have to do rapid fire before we okay. say goodbye. Yeah. Okay. So every time we have a guest, we do rapid fire questions. Okay. So these are my rapid fire questions for you. Okay. What do you think your best quality is? Oh, do I, um, my best quality? My honesty. Good. Favorite place in the world? Um, Hope, BC. If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? My grandmother. No. What do you think happens to us when we die? Hmm. I don't know. Good answer. Whenever somebody says, I don't know, I, I love it. I don't know. It's honest. Uh, would you rather swim in a pool of poop or drink a glass of snot? <laughs> um, I'll drink the glass of snot. All right. Who's cooler, me or Nathan? Obviously you. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> What? It's your question. That's fine. It's good. What was the well, first yeah. one? What do you think your best quality is? Oh, honesty. See, I don't think I, that wasn't honest because I don't think that's my best quality. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny. answer now. What do you think your best quality is? I don't know. Okay. But I don't think that's it. That's fair, too. What do you think my best quality is? Oh, good question. Um, Like a... It's like that go get itness. It's like you set your eyes on something and you're like fixated on it and you don't stop until it's done. That's I'm glad great. that you said that rather than when you said that I was experienced once in a meeting of say, 20 people. I think. I'll never forget it. Yeah. What, what, when was that? What was it that was for? a staff meeting. You were going around giving all of these wonderful traits. A man would have got a hard on for that answer, Billy Joe. 
Laura is artistic. So and so is this. So Billy Joe's experience. And I just sat there. I was like, afterwards, I was like, Do you you're like AKA old? I thought I, I said, Did you, you you call me a slut? You would make it sexual. Obviously. I think your best quality is a variation of honesty and that when I'm speaking with you, I feel I'm getting a genuine interaction, which I highly enjoy because I have very little patience for dealing with people who I feel are not being genuine with me. So I was really hoping you were going to say my tits because that's what I was going to say. Well, I'd also like to... I'd also like to. Oh, uh, the laugh! Us. We got the laugh. And th- two hours later, we got it. I'm actually gonna flip the story. I'm gonna start with that. I was hoping you'd say my tits, and then.